Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello, and welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Today's topic, Turning Weak Signals into Strong Competitive Advantage. So we know that if you have a trend, emerging trend, but that could be missed or you might even shun it as a speculation if it is, it's weak, it's feeble. It is not something looks like a good signal and an impact sometimes looks like an anomaly. But how do you know if it was the opportunity of the lifetime and if you wait for that strong signal, very obvious one, how do you know, or for that matter, in many cases, it's very possible your competitor has already started working on it and you may uh, lag in the race. So with that said, how, while we are in our mad rush in our respective companies to grow and be profitable, etc., but how do we build the, the super sensitive ears or the sensory uh, perceptions, the sensing capabilities to make sure we are able to catch even the weak signals, but promise that would promise a good trend and then have our team ready, the organization ready to capitalize on it so that we gain a competitive advantage. And overall, even though we are not competing with anyone else, but even we are competing with ourselves, we become the best we can be. Topic requires introspection. Topic requires us to think out of the box. And that's why I have two superheroes who are joining us here. Nashira Layade, Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer, Relogy, and Boreal Rickson, Chief Information Officer with Gongaza University. Nashira, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Very good to have you. And Bore, how's life with you? It's uh, really good. Thank you, Sanjog. Uh, and uh, greetings to everybody from Gonzaga University in beautiful Spokane, Washington. Love that. Love that. Now, Nishira, first question is for you. You, are, you know that we all are in this quarterly rush, right? We got to show our numbers to the management in many cases to the Wall Street and many things like that. And we are up to our eyeballs with all the projects that we are running. How does any organization, number one, find the bandwidth going looking for that needle in the haystack and justify the effort and the cost and the time spent on it? And then secondly, allow the blessings or get the blessings from the management to not only go spend time on finding that needle in the haystack, but actually trying to experiment to do poison, you know, proof of concept or anything whatsoever. This is, is this a pipe dream of a topic? Such a wonderful, great question. So to answer the last segment, no, this is not a pipe dream. I can say the first thing and the most critical imperative is to ensure that your organization promotes and supports a culture of innovation, which inherently means giving you the ability to test, to learn, to pick up on things that may not be so common, and honestly, giving you the power to fail. I would say that recognizing these little blips or these anomalies um, really must be closely aligned and critically tied to your strategy. And they have to have clear measures of success. So no, you can't just go off and chase every little thing that seems weird or that seems interesting or anomalous. You really have to sit and identify what things make the most amount of sense for my business or these areas where we could potentially use and exploit it to grow or to your point that you made earlier to gain some type of competitive advantage. Um, and I would also say, again, back to this concept of having the power to fail, having the power to fail, but fail fast and to pivot quickly. Those are the most critical components to being empowered 
to uh, identify the not so obvious patterns and to get the blessing from top management it really starts with a culture of innovation. So, Bori, I mean, thanks so much, Nashira, for this response that you gave. So, Bori, I'm going to build upon this. If it was circa 2019 or before, when we were enjoying the ride, if you will, and suddenly the COVID hit, and I don't want to harp on the COVID thing, but there was a time when we were given the blessings of things going well, and we were given the breathing room. Now, companies either had to hunker down or they had to pivot and they had to, from keeping the lights on to getting back the losses or the setbacks, which we all faced. In the current situation, how do you get the power to fail even more? How do you get management to say, I will give you what you want, even though I don't, I'm not sure how, because a lot of things are shaken. But you don't take away that power to, to look for those needles in the haystack and also to keep doing those POCs. Give me a practical tip, which I'm sure listeners will enjoy too. Okay, thank you, Sanjo. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you. Let's not dwell on COVID and let's look ahead. But I will say this, that you know the last year and a half has given us in technology an amazing opportunity to show to our community what we can do with technology and how fast we can move when we have to. So I, uh, I, I believe that we have built a lot of trust with our community, you know, in terms of uh, actually working with them, collaborating with them and making things happen and listening to them. And I think, you know, I echo what Nashira said, if you want to build a culture of innovation, you know, you have to empower the people who are kind of on the front line and are spotting, you know, these weak signals as you see them, right? So, so I think, you know, uh, we can't hunker down because uh, I believe, uh, you know, Gonzaga University, like uh, so many other organizations, you know, I've kind of, we, we managed our way through a very difficult spot, but now we need to get back to, you know, uh, an opportunities for growth and creation of, of, you know, new opportunities, right? So, uh, so that's kind of where we are. Uh, we do three things, right? that I found helpful because we have, uh, you know, we're a university, so we're very decentralized and, and we have a lot of people who are, you know, really smart. They're faculty members, they're experts in their field, you know, they see opportunities for new academic programs, research projects, you know, there's a lot going on and, and a lot of ideas kind of being generated, right? So, uh, so the first thing we do is, you know, we ask anybody who has an idea to take a step back and think about it a little more broadly and because we're a university, we're very mission-driven, right? Our mission is to educate students. It's not necessarily to make a lot of money, right? It's basically to create, uh, you know, graduates who are going to go out and, you know, make a difference in, in society. So the first question is uh, this idea, this opportunity, you know, we're seeing how is that country contributing to that mission, right? And kind of asking people to think about it and communicate that helps putting things a little bit in context. Uh, second thing I would say is, you know, we asked uh, in your area, can you contribute, uh, you know, resources, right? Do you have any kind of budget? Can you put some skin in the game? We're finding that, you know, when the people who uh, come up and kind of find these signals, if they're willing to invest, that's a really good sign, number one, that they really believe in the opportunity. And number two, that they're willing to do what it takes to be successful, right? And then third, uh, which I found really helpful too, is to find a group of peers around the university who have a similar interest in, in, in innovation and thinking outside the box. And then we talk to each other, right? And when you come up with an idea, you present it to your colleagues. So again, you have an opportunity to kind of think more broadly, communicate in, in, in a language that, you know, the community can understand. And then, uh, you know, that's kind of your first, you know, pitch uh, you know, of this idea, and then you get a feel for, you know, if it, if it has legs and if something we should move forward with. So, Nashira, what lens would you use? What senses would you like to see elevated for us to find the weak signals, but not misread them so they are amplified or there's a way for you to discern the good ones from the noise? 
Sure. So at Realogy, um, with us being the largest uh, brokerage, real estate brokerage in the United States, we have access to an inordinate amount of data regarding the real estate transaction. So one of the things that we do to look at things that could be potentially emerging patterns, we create specific test cycles. We have defined hypotheses. We look to identify the best environments where we may be able to gain insight into those hypotheses. We give ourselves potential timeframes. We try to understand if the hypothesis rings true or if it doesn't. And one of these examples that I can provide is Realshore, which is our iBuyer platform. And it's what we use, um, what we had used rather as a way to identify anomalous patterns. We were able to use Realshore to create an innovative program providing sellers with both an instant cash offer as well as with the ability to work with an agent to potentially maximize their sales price. And what we did with the anomalies there is really to determine what is the best market to launch this particular platform, what is the best geographic location, who are the target demographics. And we really looked at that as one of the ways that we used our access to data, looking at things that were uncommon um, to really create a new segment in our market. So what you said, Nasheris, was something were you anticipating or it came from the left field and you had the lens ready? It was a combination of both. So it was eye buying was something that was starting to have blips in the market, right? And based on the data that we have access to, we looked and determined ways in which we can create our own eye buying platform and where would it be most successful? So, Bore, one is, of course, uh, as you mentioned, that we need to all get going with changing our original mindset of hunkering down because COVID hit, but now we are hoping that we get beyond this. And people are, so your management is telling, go ahead and do what you can to get the growth. But then comes the point, money is scarce still. We still don't have the boatloads of money either. So they're going to be watching every penny. You're not going to get play money. So how are you going to make a case for those small little POCs or sandboxing that you would like to do to pick on those potential ones or at least come to know if they're potential only by trying? That's an excellent question, Sanjog, and and very uh, difficult question actually to answer in higher education because that's not the way we're used to thinking, you know, in terms of... uh, uh, you know, profit and loss and ROI and stuff like that, right? So that's been a big change for us. Uh, again, I would say, you know, the opportunities we've had to demonstrate over the last year and a half, what technology can do, combined with, uh, you know, this need to really look for new areas, there is there is that openness uh, and there are some resources. The challenge is the resources are limited. So so to be able to compete for them, you have to provide, uh, you know, present a business case, right? And there has to be uh, some kind of revenue opportunity or, you know, cost reduction attached to it. And, uh, you know, that's something we're working on. Uh, It comes back to, as I mentioned earlier, you know, asking people to put a little bit of skin in the game just because then, you know, the revenue side and also the cost side becomes more real. Uh, But I say, you know, I'll give you an example of, of something we did. Uh, so uh, for for actually for a while now, we've been talking about uh, moving towards things like uh, certificate programs and uh, specializations in our engineering area around cybersecurity. But one of the challenges has been if you want to build a whole infrastructure to teach cybersecurity, uh, it has to be completely separated from all other IT resources at the university, right? Because you're going to introduce malware and other things into that environment and and we were uh, kind of holding back a little bit on, on making that kind of investment. Uh, however, as we have shown over the last 18 months, it's amazing what you can do in a cloud and how quickly you can move, uh, you know, go into the cloud. So, so this year we were able to basically secure, uh, you know, uh, a cloud instance that we spun up really fast. We were able to create 
you know, academic programs that ran, you know, 100% in the cloud. All the work that the students were done was done in the cloud, you know, completely, uh, you know, insulated from the rest of the university network and, you know, our other assets, right? So, so I would say, you know, being able to uh, form teams uh, that have uh, participation from, you know, the people on the ground, but also experts, uh, you know, from technology and other areas, uh, you know, come up with the business case in terms of, you know, this is a program, it can bring in new students, it can, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, enhance the reputation of the institution, right? And then quickly spin up uh, technology and infrastructure in the cloud to actually get it going, right? And then try. And of course, uh, I think Nashira talked about, you know, being able to fail fast, right? I'm pretty optimistic, but if this proves to be, you know, not something that there's a market for, well, then we learned something, right? Then we could shut it down and move on. Let's take a quick break. Listeners will be right back. And Nishira, when we come back, let's talk about the DNA, because you mentioned that we should have a culture of innovation and or uh, we have a certain style for us to be able to capitalize, first of all, by sensing the weak signals and then be able to capitalize on them. But not every organization has that DNA today. And if someone doesn't have it, should they give up this whole option of looking at weak signals or small ideas, which turn into big uh, outcomes and impact? What should those companies be doing who are not as blessed or as that mature? Please sit tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Nashira. Not everyone is blessed. I would love for them to be, but that's just a reality that they may not be the fastest mover or the first movers. And they may not have the management who might say, yes, innovation is our thing. It's in our DNA. But I think they still deserve to be able to pick on these weak signals. So should they lose hope? Or is there something else you could suggest? No, you should never lose hope. Um, So I would say for organizations that may not be market leaders or who may not have cultures of innovation um, as fully developed or that are completely mature, one of the ways for them to do this is to consider benchmarking themselves against their competitors and leaders in the industry. Um, Being careful to find ways to measure missed revenue, missed opportunity, and to determine how these missed opportunities may be hurting their bottom lines. I mean, I think um, for those of us who are driven by revenue, um, one of the things you always do is compare yourself to your competitors. And if you can present a business case where you can show where you are potentially losing market space, you're missing customers because of the lack of innovation, that's one way to do it. And then also to ask for a trial period, a uh, small amount of budget to find really clear ways with very, very um, clear means of measuring and managing success. And that those are the suggestions that I would have to uh, leaders, technology leaders, business leaders who may happen to be leading in spaces or in companies where quote unquote innovation or identifying these little blips aren't top priority for executive management. Bora, what have you seen working? Well, I want to start with a horror story, Sandra. You said you wanted them, so yeah, I'll I give love you those. One. Yeah, we learned yeah. from them absolutely. Uh, you know, innovation kind of uh, you know gone bad, I guess. So, uh, you know, what happened with us was one of our. Uh, business units came up with this great idea of, uh, you know, digital signatures, right? 
which makes a lot of sense. Uh, it simplifies the business process. It, uh, you know, uh, eliminates paper and it's easier to track and follow. So there's a lot of good. And I think everybody on this call knows that, you know, uh, being able to sign, uh, you know, documents uh, digitally is, is a huge uh productivity play right so so they were very uh, excited about that so they went to a vendor that we shall not name mention or name and basically signed the contract uh and then they came to us and said okay great we've signed now a contract pretty significant contract for uh electronic signatures and now you know it make it happen and of course, uh, we had to explain to them that it, there's a lot more involved, right? Number one, the data is generated in our ERP system. You know, this uh, particular technology did not integrate with that. So, uh, and then of course, after you have uh, gotten everything signed and approved, it has to go back into the system. And that didn't integrate either. So we actually ended up having to move to a different technology because it was a great idea and, uh, you know, a great productivity play but they picked the wrong technology. So it cost us a lot of money and a lot of time to correct that, right? So um, one of the things I did was after having kind of recovered from that was to go around to you know the senior leadership of our institution and say, we need to put the group together who can help kind of vet these kind of ideas uh, earlier. So we don't get to this kind of this point again. And they did. And what I told them was absolutely critical was that they appointed somebody who understands kind of their area and how they function and who has the trust of their leadership to represent them and basically speak for them and make decisions on their behalf. Because uh, we talked a lot about being able to move fast here. A lot of being able to move fast is to be able, be able to make quick decisions, right? So you've got to have people who can make quick decisions. So that's what I found to be absolutely critical was to have the right people in the room with the right level of authority who can actually, you know, uh, have the budget authority and other authority to, to kind of give the green light and move forward, right? So that we can, we can move fast. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, you know, that group also then ends up playing as a sounding board, uh, functioning as a sounding board for their colleagues, right? In terms of being able to ask questions. You present something, it sounds like a great idea to you. You're, you're kind of, uh, you know, putting together a presentation and then, you know, people start asking questions and you start realizing, oh, there are a number of things we didn't think about. Gives us an opportunity to go back and really fine tune, you know, our approach. And then, you know, when we bring it onto the uh, you know, actually moving into implementation and, and presenting it to the rest of the community, it's a more baked idea with a bigger opportunity for success. So, Nashira, when you are looking at any organization which is busy, and I know they will allow you, even the blessing comes from the top, but then we are doing a whole lot already. How do you find a bunch of people who are taking those big lenses looking for those patterns? How do you set this thing up? So I, I completely agree with what Bore said. Who do you have in the room? Um, so at Rilogy, we have specific governance bodies or governance committees, rather, who are responsible for evaluating the data, for identifying market trends or things that may not necessarily be a trend right now. So for us, it's a combination of our data and analytics team, our product team, our um, technology and data team. And then also we have business executive sponsors who sit, listen, identify, um, determine the appropriate budget to leverage to explore these potential opportunities. So it's really just making sure, again, you have the right people who, be it your data and analytics, your research and development, your business leadership, your product folks, the folks who have access to your clients and your customers who would then be able to assist you in testing out, is this something that's valid or not? So uh, what, what you mentioned is people who are at the top maybe doing it. What about the worker bees? I'm not saying it any way demeaning way, but people who are on the floor, they're the ones who will have truly that eye and perhaps that lens which keeps getting sharpened by experience that they have when they're in the trenches. Are those people being motivated, empowered, and or uh, evaluated, their performance being evaluated that, 
I'd like to give you two attaboys and $500 raise if you find three weak signals, which potentially can get in, you know, can convert into a big idea. Oh, absolutely. They have to be um, actively involved. So again, like at Realogy, we do have a culture of innovation. So innovation and agility are um, components of our internal leadership competencies, which all employees get rated against. So for us, that is a critical um, component. So just to make it more personal to Realogy. So we have over 200,000 agents on the ground with our recognized brands, including Sotheby's, Corcoran, Cowell Banker, ERA, Better Homes and Gardens. And our agents, their work is really to assist the real estate client with what is the most significant transaction of their life. So for us, we are intensely focused on serving our agents who then serve as the gateway to our real estate consumers. So our agents are actually provided with outstanding training so that they are then able to identify changing trends. And because we believe so strongly in outstanding relationship management, which creates open communication channels, we then have a constant exchange of information where the folks on the ground for us who are quote unquote our agents are able to communicate with us, be it the product team, our technology teams, so that we can then use the data, analyze the data based on some of the things that they are observing and are reporting back. Bore, do you think it should be a federated model of how innovation should be managed uh, motivating people and managing it and collecting insights and doing your POCs or should it be one central command and control for it to thrive? I think you have to be both. So you definitely need, uh, you know, the people, like you said, the people on the ground who's right there and who sees what's going on and, and know exactly what they need, right? You need them involved the whole way. But very quickly, you get to a point where you're going to need resources that are, you know, more centralized, right? As I talked about, you know, if you want to spin up a cloud environment, right? If you want to start integrating with some of the enterprise systems, right? You're going to need some of the people who have those skills. So it really has to be both. Uh, You talked about how you kind of keep uh, the people in the front line engaged and involved. And uh, I have found that success breeds success, right? So anytime we do something that is really cool and may not be a huge thing, but it makes a difference, right? That's a big point of us for celebration. So uh, let me give you an example. Uh, you know, uh, we did a number of uh, projects, you know, um, in response to COVID, right? And, uh, and a lot of people worked really hard. So what we did was we made pins, so that everybody who were working on these different initiatives, you know, they would get a pin. If we had a camera now, you could see me. I'm actually, I'm wearing my lanyard and it's full of pins because, you know, I've obviously been on a lot of these projects. So every time I've been on one of these projects, I get a pin. Those pins are now collectibles. People want to be on this project because they really want to get a pin. Uh, and of course, you'll have a party and, you know, all that kind of stuff to celebrate, right? But, but having really, uh, uh, you know, successes be really visible and that the people who are making it happen are celebrated, I find that is a huge uh, um, motivation. And the second thing we do, and that's something I'm uh, you know, working with my team on is every initiative should have a story. So uh, this project should not be done until we have actually written a story that we can publish about what we did, who did it, and how it impacted uh, you know, end users, right? Of course, we're university. We love anything that impacts students. We love student quotes, right? If we can get a student to talk about, you know, I, uh, I, I have a struggling with an academic program. You know, there was something, you know, that I needed that I couldn't get done. And then, uh, you know, Gonzaga University came out with this new service and it made a huge difference for me, right? I was able to graduate on time, whatever it is, right? Uh, those things, again, makes the uh, the success really visible and understandable to our community. They don't need to know about all the crazy uh, technical work we did in the background, right? They want to know what the outcomes are. So, so those are some of the things that we've been doing to really kind of strengthen that uh, innovative muscle. 
Nishira, if you had to, since you, you mentioned that you have a culture of innovation, you are doing this, uh, you know, you motivated your people to seek out ideas and then you're even implementing them. So it seems like you are getting there. I'm not sure you can ever say if we are perfect in this, but what would you recommend as that holy grail of an organization which has built this enterprise capability? Because indeed, it is a capability that you can sense and then you can act on them and you see it to completion, whether it is a sinking ship, you let it go, like you said, fail fast, or you see it to completion, so you incorporate the findings and subsequent benefits of that effort into uh, your organization's outcome. What would that benchmark look like? What should we aspire for as any organization in this in this regard? I would say I can't necessarily give you definitives, right? So one of the things that I would say is first and foremost, again, and I keep harping on this, providing um, an organization where your folks have the freedom to fail. And what I mean by freedom to fail is just the ability to take risks, understanding that if the trend or the thought or the experiment does not quite evolve or produce the results, that it's okay. So that's the first thing. Second is just really truly ensuring that you employ your teams with the ability to think outside the box and um, to adopt practices of test and learn. And I would say lastly, truly having a predefined risk tolerance for your organization so that you know, okay, we've hit this level, you hear the bells ringing, then we need to kind of go and retreat and restart if there's available time and budget, or we just need to say this wasn't quite what we hoped it would be. So let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, let us, uh, Borea, let's, let's talk about the very people who we are trying to build. One is we expect them to deliver. Another is uh, we, we, of course, motivate them that they go out seeking. Third is they improve or, or refine the lens that they ought to have while staying in sync with where the company wants to go and what kind of ideas that they bring back because you should don't want to go nuts trying to filter all those ideas only to find the ones which would make sense to the organization and not demotivate them to say, these guys never take my ideas. I'm going to stop looking. Let's talk people in this context of turning weak signals into a strong competitive advantage. What DNA will you hire? Which DNA will you keep and and groom? And which DNA would not serve well if you were to talk in this capability? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Let's talk people, Bart. When we look at anyone, when they... Uh, join an organization, they sign up with some dreams, some desires, some inhibitions on what will happen to them. And of course, things happen. They go about doing their job. They invariably have a more than spilling plate. And then we spring this idea that, hey, go look. And yes, some people are self-motivated. The job is easier. But then, then others, they say, I didn't sign up for this. I just want to do my job. And I know we'll go back to building that culture of innovation that Nashira mentioned. But frankly, we are talking human equation here. What would you do focusing on that human element so that 
this motivation is ex- not extrinsic, it is intrinsic. And this dream and desire and the passion to find the next big idea where everyone benefits starts happening automatically by them. How can you influence that intrinsic motivation sitting outside? Yeah, that is a big question, Sanjog. So, and I think, you know, not only is this an important question in the context of uh, innovation, it is a uh, key question right now because of kind of the marketplace we're in, right? So we have a lot of people who over the the last 18 months have proven to themselves that they can be really successful working remotely. And uh, we live in Spokane, which is a, you know, a smaller town you know, in the eastern part of the state of Washington. Uh, and our labor costs have traditionally been a lot lower than Seattle and you know, kind of some of the areas that are on the West Coast. And that's been okay because we've been pretty far away. Well, we're not really far away anymore, right? Because anybody now can work in Seattle and live in Spokane. So, uh, so we are finding that a lot of the people that are kind of meeting the criteria that you're talking about, you know, who want to learn and grow and move on uh, and move up in the organization now are having opportunities outside. So we have to kind of uh, find ways to match that, right? And typically, because we're a university, you know, we are not going to be able to match to kind of outbid Amazon when it comes to salaries, right? So we need to find other ways. Uh, and a lot of that ends up being... Uh, you know, the opportunity to be part of these kind of projects, right? To, to be innovative, to be on the kind of moving at the, at the edge and, and really pushing, pushing the limits, right? Of, of us as an organization and kind of of the whole technology infrastructure we have. Uh, we are finding that we have to create pathways, career pathways, right? Because what we're doing is we're bringing in now people who are earlier in their career, because uh, they they see here, we offer them opportunities to learn and grow and and really you know become part of our innovation. Uh, and and of course you're right. Then there are others who have been here for a while and kind of look at this and go like, okay, well I I don't know if that's what I signed up for. Uh, and and what I found is you know uh, rather than trying to you know be heavy-handed and kind of trying to show people, you know, if you're not going to learn and grow, you need to, you need to kind of move on, right? I found that if you, as I mentioned earlier, if we really take the time to celebrate success, recognize the people who really do things, make these things happen, make that really visible, make them kind of, you know, to some degree heroes, right, that others can look up to, even people who may have thought that, you know, I really only wanted to do this thing are now thinking, well, maybe I should, you know, uh, sign up for some of these things because obviously they're having a lot of fun. They're being recognized. They're being successful. So, you know, that I found that to be a better way of, of uh, kind of tuning the culture and, and getting having the right people than, uh, you know, to try to, uh, you know, be more heavy handed. So, Nashira, any secret recipe that you came up with for you to either clean the house or reset expectations or uh, have that touch where everyone you know gets their intrinsic motivation awakened absolutely so for me it's how do you correlate people's or your team's personal goals with which you need them to do from a business slash technology perspective. And I always find that when you can align those two things, the light bulb just switches, right? So as I had mentioned before, innovation and agility are core components of Realogy's leadership competencies, which all employees are rated upon. So a part of it for us is just, you know, based on how you rate your I won't say compensation, but, you know, your potential bonus, your total comp could be impacted by lack of innovation, lack of agility, right? So that's one thing, right? Just, you know, the financial impact. But I would say to me, what's most important is correlating the personal side, getting folks excited about the potentials that could happen for the business to have bragging rights to say, hey, I was a part of this project and, here are the things that we did to innovate, to move differently, and here are the results that my work personally had for 
the business. So it's it's less of looking at it from an individual perspective, but more about how does your work correlate to the business, to business results, to business impact, which then back to the point, tying it back to how I first started, could then contribute to your own personal financial success. So based on what you just said, would you, you know, kind of ask them uh, the personal question, which I know you're going in the right direction where you're saying, you know, connect their personal side to their professional side and have that uh, care precede the, the ask. Yes. And that's how people are more likely to help. But then what happens with the empathy part? Because some people simply either, it's not that they don't want to do it, but they just don't have it. And another thing is you can give the care and ask them to do it, but you drown them with work. So do you think you leave them the breathing room that they can, you know, get their head up and look around or get the time to look around? Because that also goes with the workload and the work variety you assign to them, mm-hmm. besides the empathy and care, all needs to get balanced. So do you have a plan for that to give them the breathing room so they can look around and mm-hmm. look for ideas? Absolutely. I mean, I think the question that you're asking is like management 101, right? So when I take over a new team, one of the first things I like to do is just try to understand who they are as people, not just strictly like their professional goals, but their personal goals. What is their families like? Like really try to get to the heart of who my team is as individuals, right? And understanding that, asking them, okay, like how do you see yourself, you know, here's the future direction of where we need to take the the organization. How do you see yourself fitting into that? And then also, how do you intend to operate in this new space, right? So for example, um, especially now that we are in this hybrid workforce, there are certain members of um, my organization who may not necessarily work a traditional eight to five, especially like during the uh, academic calendar when they, if they have uh, children, they may work six to nine, then, you know, help the kids out with logging in and then, you know, come back in. So it's how do you create a dynamic work environment so that folks are encouraged to want to do more, take on more, be innovative in a way that's manageable and that makes sense for their lives. So again, agreed that it has to be a balance. And you also have to know which of your team members have the capability and the skill set to kind of think outside the box, to be innovative in a way that doesn't drown them. So, Bore, if you were to look at the world that we are living in today, the time and the money and the effort that we need to put into this How would you, like we did actually a show on funding IT and funding business kind of models for it to truly bring value. You may have the play money, but of course you're not going to put all that play money or R&D budget or or investment, if you will, into things which you do not know, not at least a huge percentage. You're not a venture capitalist firm, you have a business to run. How would you build your budget and carve out the the time, which is you know indirect money that is being spent of the people, and then the time for those POCs, so that you are not giving less or not overzealously burning the budget. I want to start by uh, echoing a lot of what Nashira said. I think that was really really well put, and I think making that investment to really get to know the people you're going to working with that you're going to be working with is uh, you know absolutely I, I agree management or leadership 101 right uh, so so that's that's kind of the starting point right now when it comes to the way I think about leadership is uh, you know a lot of what we do is prioritize right because there there just isn't enough dollars in the budget and enough hours in the day to do everything and you know our teams and our uh, employees are looking to us, right, to tell them what's going to be most important. And uh, what I found is I come back to that group I mentioned earlier, you know, that had been kind of appointed by the senior leadership at the institution to help us. Uh, 
evaluate all these options, right? Because if we just do it ITS in uh, or IT in a um, vacuum, right, then uh, we don't really have the credibility. If we have others who are uh, kind of, you know, uh, experts in how our university runs, then and they help us with the prioritization and they help us with the recommendation, you know, that's really where it makes a difference and where, you know, we get a lot of credibility and trust, right? So, so I would say, you know, that's absolutely critical is that I kind of did, that's what I call kind of the visionary part of it, right? We have to have a vision of what's most important and we have to be able to communicate that. Then I think, you know, uh, what I see my role as, uh, you know, to kind of make sure that we're successful is kind of, I call it air support, right? So uh, basically try to not surprise the team so that as they're working, things come up, you know, uh, conditions change, you know, I am the one who works with them and make sure that they're kind of, uh, you know, they understand where, where we need to go and they're not surprised, especially, you know, if other leaders come in and kind of, you know, can can sometimes uh, be a distraction, right? So, so I found that to be really important. And then I want to, you know, uh, I want to make a little plug for a book here. Can I do that, Sandra? Uh, it's uh, Kim Scott has written a book called Radical Candor, uh, which I really like because it she has basically two major things, right? So one is like uh, Nashira mentioned earlier: get to know your people, show that you care for them, build that trust, right? But then on the other hand, be honest, right? And, uh, and I think we talked about earlier, people, you know, who may not really be a good fit for this, uh, uh, you know, innovative organization that we're trying to build, they should know. And, uh, you know, and, and it's not, you know, it's not a bad reflection on them. It's basically just that, you know, like uh, I think you mentioned too, Sanjog, this is, may not be their thing, right? And you would actually do them a favor if you kind of tell them that, right? And that will give them more opportunity to think about, you know, what they want to do with their career. Do they want to make a change? Do they kind of, you know, want to, look at uh, growing their own skills or, you know, is it indeed time to kind of move on, right? So, so that's another thing that I found to be really helpful uh, in kind of, you know, looking back at some of these initiatives is, you know, to have those conversations and be very honest and straightforward. Would there be any specific uh, skills and competencies and mindset or training of sorts that Nashira, an organization should focus on specifically to build this capability individually and collectively, which is to be able to see the weak signals, find them out, and then have a team working on it to see if it can be converted into something promising. Sure, so I would say folks who I have seen who really excelled at this, um, folks who, have uh, MBAs, right? Because they have the ability to identify patterns, um, kind of do some of the analysis to really determine, you know, is this viable or not? It's not necessarily always just a strong technologist. Um, folks who have experience in research and development or in data and analytics excel at this as well. And then lastly, um, what I call the Zoomers, Generation Z. So like um, there aren't, they're just now, I think over the last three years starting to enter the workforce. And it's just based on the way they grew up with technology and their ability to see things, identify trends or before they even start, um, they just think completely differently. So those are like the three segments or populations where I've seen folks do really well in this space. So, so Bore, one last question for you. Maybe you take 45 seconds and Ashira closes it. What would you say you would fix in yourself so that you could lead the troops who then collectively and individually can identify those weak signals and help convert them into strong competitive advantage? Focus on you on this question. Okay. Uh, well, Sandra, I would want to become a humble cheerleader. So I, I want to be a cheerleader because I, I think, you know, to get these things off the ground and to get moving and inspire that confidence, you have to be excited. And, and you know, that's my job. Of course, if I can get excited and I can do it really well, I can be contagious, right? And other people are going to be excited. So that's the cheerleading part. 
But I, there's also a hum- humility part, right? I need to be humble. I need to then take a step back when it gets going and it gets excited and we get results and recognize other people. Because if they see, if, if the community sees that when you come up with an idea and you make it happen, you get the credit, then they're going to want to do it again. So that would be uh, that would be me if I could be work on myself. I would become an even more of a humble cheerleader. Yashira? Sure. So for myself, I would say I would continue to be an active listener. I would say that I would try to move out of my way um, to, I I have a a habit right now where I try to read things, all types of things, things that may seem weird or strange. I have really in-depth conversations with my 11-year-old son um, because the way he thinks and the way I think completely differently. So I would say I would force myself to be more of a risk taker um, and to continue having a mind and an ear to listen to perspectives that aren't my own. Once again, thank you so much, Nashira and Bore. This was a fantastic, very eye-opening conversation. And I hope the listeners got value too. So thanks so much again for the insights about how organizations can fundamentally change, build their people, become better leaders, and or bring more leaders to turn weak signals, identify them, and convert them into strong competitive advantage. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, both of you. It was a pleasure. And hope, uh, listeners, you got the value. Uh, Connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcasts. And once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjur Gaul, signing off. Take care. Till next week, God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. 